If you have a Bible, our primary text this morning is going to be 1 Samuel chapter 1, which is a little bit different than what we've been doing. Our, our typically on a Sunday morning, we, we go through books of the Bible, and, and um, so, so this morning is just a little bit different. And um, the reason it's a little bit different is uh, some of the things that the Lord's been teaching me from his, from his Word. There was something in the study of the Gospel of Luke that as I studied it, it really grabbed my attention, and in the week since, uh, I, I find myself, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but as you study the Bible, certain themes or certain commands or certain subjects keep coming up over and over again. And when that happens, I've learned in my life at least to take a pause and, and, and just, just invite God to, to, uh, to really teach me what it is that he's wanting to, to teach me. And so there's some things that um, going on as a pastor of the church and then in the study of the word that I want to bring together. And so for several weeks now, I think on the PowerPoint announcements and on the, on the, um, in the bulletin, you've seen that this Sunday we're going to talk about children, the gospel, and Calvary Baptist Church. I love my church family. In, in a lot of ways, uh, every family is like a little church, and every church is like a big family. And just take a moment to, to look around the room. Don't you love these people that you're seated with? Isn't this a glorious, wonderful opportunity we have to be the people of God together? Now, as you, as you scan the room, you'll see it is, it's a lot like a family, and that there's multiple generations. And that's a huge blessing. Let me tell you, in these days, this is a huge blessing to have a church family that's multi-generational. Unfortunately, what happens at times is, is a church gets to be all the same age. And no matter what that age might be, that, that, uh, that, that leaves something to be desired. As the psalmist says, I want to live until I proclaim your might to the next generation. And so we, we've got a great privilege as we look around at our, at our church family. We've got some that that would qualify as great-grandparents and then grandparents and parents and, and children and so on and so forth. Look with me at Psalm 145. I, I'm going to have you flip in a little bit this morning, just go on and let you be aware of that. So, so Psalm 145 in verse number 8. Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious... The Lord is gracious and merciful. I want you to hold on to the word gracious for a few moments. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Let's pray together and then, and then talk about this word gracious for a few moments. Father, thank you for Jesus and thank you that we get to be the people of God together. I thank you for the privilege it is to be a part of Calvary Baptist Church. And Father, for a few moments this morning, we want to open up your word and, and talk about children and then the gospel and then as a church family, how we can be united together to again, encourage, defend, exhort, protect, and usher on a generation for your glory in the days that in many ways are unprecedented days in which we live. And in some ways, they're not unprecedented. For as we open up your word, we'll see that children have always been uniquely targeted by our enemy. We thank you for the defender that we have, the great shepherd who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that, that you'd lead our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to read three passages of Scripture and we're just going to read on. We're just going to read them. We're going to comment on them heavily as we read them. But as we read them, I, I want you to kind of get your thoughts around a consistent 
teaching from Scripture. I already told you we're going to be flipping a little bit this morning, so we're going to start in the Old Testament book of Genesis, uh, uh, Exodus. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, so uh, Genesis is the first book, Exodus is the second book. I'm just going to read a passage of Scripture here in Exodus chapter 1, verse number 15. The Bible records there, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah, and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. If it is a son, you shall kill him. Now go with me to the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Matthew, chapter 2, and verse number 16. This is a record of time of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ. It says here in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise man. Killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And then Luke chapter 9, the third passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 9, verse 37. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him, so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him, and will not leave him. So we see Exodus chapter 1, we read a text together. Matthew chapter 2, we read a text together. Luke chapter 9, we read a text together. And if we're all reading along together, we see that children not only can be, but often are the specific targets of the enemy. Are we all able to see that together? Now this in particular, we've been studying through the Gospel of Luke. It was this section in particular that I studied that it really took me aback. That, that d- demonic forces came against a child. Now, I know this to be true, but sometimes I find myself operating on a very foolish assumption, and it is that children are not targeted. I mean, children are precious. They're in many ways so innocent, so impressionable, but what I want you to see from the Scripture and what we have to rally behind together as a church family is that when it comes to children, the enemy does not operate under a policy that they're hands-off. In fact, it seems to be the very opposite. The, the, the strongest, the strongest admonition Jesus has in the Gospels in regards children. He says, as a matter of fact, it'd be better if you had a millstone cast around your neck and you got thrown in the river than you cause harm to come to a little child. So we got two sort of thoughts going on. Is, is one, the enemy in all of his evil intent, targets children. And then another, another thought here that we're going to also carry is Jesus gives special and specific attention to the defense of children. In fact, again, when the disciples, we'll, we'll study it more in a moment, said, began to rebuke the children, said, no, you're not welcome here. Jesus rebuked them. And in the midst of all of this big picture stuff from, from Exodus and Matthew and Luke, as we as a church family want to uh, talk about children, uh, it's been, been a bit exciting in, in, in these days for me to field questions 
Several of them I've been fielding in recently. The, the kindergarten class is out of space. Uh, the nursery needs some more volunteers. As I prayed regularly over for our church family, I noticed we've had four precious family join our church in the last two months, and they've got 13 children between them. And so God's entrusting little ones to us. Uh, let's look in the Old Testament book of First Samuel. In the midst of all these big picture stuff, let's just look at one specific woman. Her name's Hannah. And we're going to look at a few things that were true in her life and give you um, five real simple but clear specific principles when it comes to, uh, to children. And again, want to carry it in this way, what, what often it needs to be prioritized in the family is helpful to prioritize in the, in the church. Again, a church is often like a, like a big family. Are you, you're not tired of flipping yet, are you? I hope not because you're in First Samuel. But I want you to see, first of all, uh, very uh, quickly, the days in which Hannah was living. And in order to know that, we've got to go back to Judges. All right, so we're just doing a little bit more flipping, but it's all God's word, and man, we, the more we flip, the better. So, so Judges chapter 21, verse 25, gives an overview of the days in which this uh, woman named Hannah lives. It says in Judges 21, 25, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In those days, there's no king in Israel. It basically saying there's no authority, and, and so everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And I need to tell you, according to the Bible, that's not a positive statement. That, that, that's not good. The Bible's not saying those were the good old days. The Bible is saying in those days, there's no king in Israel, and everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And I don't know about you, but I don't know how it hits your ears, but it sounds a whole lot like our days, does it not? In our days... Everybody desires to do what's right in their own eyes, meaning that you don't get to tell me what's right and wrong. You don't get to tell me what to do. God doesn't tell me what to do. I decide what's right for, my, for myself. So these are the days that Hannah's living in. So, so the, the straightforward connection for us is that, that we live in days much like this. So what we want to view is, is how Hannah acted and, and lived because Hannah is going to have a godly son. In fact, I told you to turn to 1 Samuel. Her, name, uh, her son is Samuel. The whole book of 1 and 2 Samuel is named for him. And Samuel is the most influential man of God that lives between Moses and David. He, he's, a, he's a godly man, and God's going to use him for, for much good. Hannah not only lived in evil days generally, she lived in the midst of difficult circumstances personally. She was part of a polygamous marriage. Ours are not the only days where there's a lot of confusion around the subject of marriage. It was true in, in Hannah's day. Now, let me, I have to tell you, the Bible is describing her situation, not prescribing the situation. A lot of times you'll hear a criticism about this. Oh, you Christians, you, 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 there's polygamy in the Bible. Do you believe, do you believe and argue for that? Well, well, well no, we're, we're reading. There's a prescriptive text that tells you what to do. Then there's a descriptive text, which is this, which is just telling you what the days were like. And so the Bible is not in any way, shape, or form endorsing polygamy. It's simply describing how they lived in very wicked times. Polygamy, by the way, was present when everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. So as we're introduced to Hannah here in 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man of, oh, that one's hard, a certain man of a city that started with R, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehovah. Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite, and he had two wives. Again, describing, not condoning. The, the name of the one was Hannah, 
and the name of the other was Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. So Hannah, uh, we're, we're told here in the Bible, it's the same uh, name. Uh, uh, Anna is the same name as Hannah. One's simply Hebrew and one's, one's Greek. And some of you have that name or some of you have grandparents or parents or children with that, with that name. Hannah literally means gracious. So uh, back to Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious. And interestingly enough, in the sovereignty of God, when he preserves a godly parent in the record of Scripture, her name is gracious. And so if we want big picture bullet points, if you're a parent or then as a church family, how do we want to treat children? The word, the banner we want to put over it is it's gracious. Be gracious to children. How are the disciples treating children in the Gospels? You know what a word to describe it would be? Ungraciously. How does Jesus treat them? He steps in and says, no, no. Do not hinder them from coming to me. He welcomes them. The word we could use would be, would be gracious. So Hannah's living in difficult days, evil days, and in a challenging circumstances. It says that, uh, we won't go into all the details, but first of all, she's in part of this polygamous relationship. That's not of the Lord. And, and then her rival, the other wife, mocks her and looks down on her and chastises her. At verse 10, we get to, it says, She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And verse 10 is connected to verse 2, the statement, But Hannah had no children. Why is Hannah deeply distressed? Why is she praying in verse 10 and weeping bitterly? Why was she so heartbroken? And it goes back to that she had no children. So I'm going to give you five real clear, specific, hopefully, uh, principles. And principle number one is the principle that we're going to just call priority. Hannah had a priority. The Bible says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Children, let's agree on a statement, children are a blessing and not a burden. Now, increasingly in our days, children are viewed as burdensome, not as a heritage from the Lord. Why is Hannah so distressed? Why is she praying? Because she's got a perspective that children are a precious gift from the Lord. Children are not to just be set aside and so on and so forth. I mean, in our culture, we, 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 we find very often children just, just, we want them anywhere but here. <laughs> Again, look with me in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, they're operating under a pretty similar assumption. Mark chapter 10 and verse number uh, 13. Mark 10, oh. Verse 13. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Did did you know in in those days, while children were were in many ways uh, precious to their parents, that they were were not welcome in uh, situations like this when a rabbi would come to teach. So get these children out of here. That they can hear some of this stuff when they get when they get older, 
and uh, uh, Jesus, when he's coming, they're operating under assumption. He's going to come, he's going to teach, and he's going to bless, and he's going to minister, and the children, they can come back when they're, when they're older. And Jesus says, no, 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 do not, do not hinder them. A, a couple of years ago, um, we, were, we were out at uh, Walt Disney World, and I had my children, and we were going on a ride called a Toy Story Mania. It's, a, it's, a, it's probably the most popular ride at the time in, the, in all of, uh, of the park. And so the line was really, really long. I mean, we're talking about an hour and 15-minute wait for a ride that lasts about a half a minute. So, but, but children wanted to ride it, and so we were on it, and we were in line, and we were in line. And then all of a sudden, they shut the whole ride down. And, and it was right about the time we were finally going to get on the ride. They shut it all down. They put a big uh, a rope, said, you're just going to have to wait there. And we asked, well, how long are we going to have to wait? You're just going to have to wait. And we didn't quite know what was going on. And so we wait there, and then it goes on a little bit. Finally, somebody comes back and unhooks the line and says, all right, now you may proceed. I mean, a little, little bit, what, what, what was that all about? And, and come to find out, star NFL quarterback Brett Favre and his children decided that they wanted to ride Toy Story Midway Mania. But do you know what? Hall of Fame, if he's not, he will be quarterback. Brett Favre didn't have to wait in the line. They shut the whole ride down and kept us uh, commoners <laughs> behind the rope so he and his family could ride and then when they decided that they had their fun, they were going to leave, and I'm sure they got swept away to some other ride where they made their... And, and, and I'll just be honest with you. I mean, this is in my flesh a little bit. It, it kind of kind of irked me a little bit, right? So, well, mister, I mean, I, you know, I'm no Hall of Fame quarterback, but I've, you know, I've paid to come here too, right? Uh, that's sort of the mentality the disciples had. They, they wanted to put the rope up. It's rope, rope time. Let's cordon everybody off. And the first people that they said, you know, you're not really welcome here is the who? Is the children, the little ones, y'all go back there. Y'all go play. Y'all go do. Jesus said, I want them to come here. So, so one simple thing I, uh, I pray regularly for our church is I want children to want to come to church. Don't you? Don't you? I mean, no parent wants to have to drag their children kicking and screaming. Do you know what? It's probably true for most every children. Do you know where they want to go? Where they're welcomed. Where they're wanted. It, uh, <laughs> I pray sometimes that God will give me grace to see the attack the enemy has on so many children and so many things that they're facing. So many children that they live their whole life and what they're told over and over again is, we don't really want you here and we don't really want you there and we don't really want you. As a matter of fact, do you know what a gang in essence is? We talk about gangs increasing. You know what a gang pretty much is? It's a group of children who got together because everywhere else they went, they were told, we don't really want you around here. That's what's happened. And so, so the church, obviously, cannot be a place like that. Hannah Long, she's got a priority. She's the, she sees the priority that, that, that children are wanted. They're included. And she's deeply distressed and praying and weeping bitterly because she wanted them so greatly. The first principle here is the principle of priority. Uh, uh, Hannah desired to have a child born to her. As a church family, we could put it perhaps this way. We desire to see many children born again here among our church. So first of all, is the, it's the simple principle of priority. The children are a priority. And number two is the principle of, of prayer. Number two, children are principle, the principle of prayer. There, uh, when it comes to children, there's some things you want to defend them from, and then there's some, it's sort of like you want to play offense and, and defense. 
Now, the days we live in are evil. Children are targeted. So as a church, we find ourselves uh, kind of doing two things at once, defending them and then also ushering them on to, to, to godliness and Christ-likeness. Uh, the, the Bible says you've got to be as wise as a uh, as innocent as a dove and a, as, as wise as a serpent. Now, when it comes to children, we do things like uh, 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 we have background check requirement, right? We, we're not going to be a church that does less to protect children than your daycare does or the YMCA does. We've got to protect children because the days we've seen it in the Bible together, right? They're targeted specifically for attack. So we have to be vigilant. And then at the same time, we have to go on the offense. It's not just to defend, defend, defend. Sometimes we get this, uh, you know, we just want to, you know, get under a mattress and just wait out the days. But that's not what Hannah does. The first is a principal priority. The second is, the, is, is prayer. Now, here's a spoiler alert. Hannah is going to have a son. And I love studying the Old Testament, what names they give their children. She names him Samuel. You know what Samuel means? Asked of the Lord. That's what his name means. So Hannah's got a priority of, of prayer. Do you know that Sarah had a son at 90 named Isaac? He was the answer to prayer. Rachel asked for a son, and she had Joseph. Ruth prayed and had Obed, the grandfather of David in the lineage of Christ. Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed, had John the Baptist. Think of these men, Isaac and Joseph and John the Baptist. Now, now uh, the heartache of Hannah, the distress of Hannah, weeping bitterly, and so she, she responds in prayer. Now, let's say something very clear here. Because this heartache is very real. She begins to seek the Lord and to pray. And she is blessed with a child. Now, for, for anybody who has that same desire, please don't take what we're saying is, if you want children, you just got to pray and pray and pray. That, that's not what the point is. The point is that she began to, to pray and call out to God. Her desire, her desire was for a child that was going to serve the Lord. My desire is for the children of Calvary Baptist Church to be the most prayed-for group of people on the planet. Just that this, uh, uh, this, this generation is so prayed for and cared for. So let me give you a to-do list, if you don't mind. Every single member of Calvary Baptist Church should pray for the children at Calvary. Now, of course, if you've got children or grandchildren, you're already prayerfully making them an, an object of prayer. But every member, get your directory out and just identify a child get to know these children by their names and and pray for them when you keep the nursery man you want to talk about a thankless job at times right the nursery i i I encourage you every sunday you get the bulletin flip it on the back find who's working in the nursery and just pray for them thank the thank god for them i mean sometimes serving the children is such a thankless job right Uh, uh, i i encourage you don't don't walk in there to hold those babies and think that we just got to bide our time you know what a healthy thing to do is? is? Is take those children. Now, I know it, it can be nerve-wracking. There's probably no louder screamer in the nursery than my daughter, Juliana. And when she gets to screaming, I know it doesn't really usher you on. Maybe it does usher you on to praying. I don't know. But, but uh, a different kind of praying, right? Uh, uh, but but as, you, as you're with them, man, isn't it crazy? I, uh, it, the time goes by so fast. That child that you're holding in your arms and, and praying over or changing their diaper or they're screaming and they want mommy and they're hungry and you don't know what, very soon that child's going to be 12 years old and that child's going to be 24 years old and that child's going to be grown. It's just a brief season. So in the midst of that season, we've got to be steadfast and, and prayerful. Hannah 
prayed. There's a, there's a principle, first of all, of priority, that children are precious in the sight of the Lord. The second, there's the priority of, of prayer. And then third is what we'll call a principle of, of purpose. First John 1 11. I'm sorry, First Samuel 1 11. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. I will never, I will never forget one of the scariest moments in my life. We'd had our first child, Mary Clara, and Julie's mom and my mom, they'd both been over and, and stayed overnight and helped us. And, and, and about the third day, uh, Julie's mom was with us, and she was, I noticed her packing up her stuff. And I said, well, well, well wait, wait a minute, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm, 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 I'm going to go home. I said, you're going to go where? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go home. And, and, uh, and, and, and then she had been so kind and gracious, both of our moms had been. And then I, I can still remember it as if it were yesterday, her walking out the door. And I actually looked out the window. <laughs> so she's really leaving. And she, she turned around the corner, and then I looked down. I was holding Mary Claire in my arms at the time. And I just, just hit me. I'm, resp- I'm responsible for this child. And I kind of looked over at Julie. She kind of looked at me, and we kind of looked at her. I'm responsible now. And in that moment, recognizing I'm not just responsible for her physically. Now I'm responsible to give her purpose in the world. What's her purpose? You've got to have the priority of purpose. Now, Hannah said, I'm going to give this child to you. Vow to vow. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Third John verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Hannah's stated purpose was for her, jo- for her child rather to glorify the Lord. Now, when it comes to our children, parents, what's your stated purpose for your children? Do, do you have a specific purpose that you desire for them, for your grandchildren, when you think of them, when you pray for them? Now, let, let, let me just, uh, let's just give a word of caution for our church family. If we don't establish a purpose for them, guess what? Somebody else will. Somebody else will come along and say, well, if you're not going to establish a purpose for them, I will. And then, and then there's so many um, ungodly purposes that the enemy targets for our children to steal, kill, and destroy from them in ways that we would recognize as stealing and killing and destroying them, and in some ways, and sometimes that we don't recognize it. Hannah's ambition was that their child, that her child, rather, would follow and serve God. Now, Again, parents and then Sunday school teachers and nursery workers and children church volunteers and Wednesday night workers. We can assist and supplement what parents are to give clear direction. You know, I, 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 I pray about this with my children. What do I want for them? I want my son to make the major leagues, become CEO, maybe my daughter of a Fortune 500 company, or get an academic scholarship. But if those things are achieved and they don't know Jesus... What's a profit of man if he gained the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Now, if your child achieves what you are encouraging him or her unto, what will the result be? What do you desire for the children of Calvary Baptist Church? Again, if we don't establish a purpose for them, somebody else will. So, so I, I just jotted down a couple of encouragements for our church family and in your family, your children or your grandchildren. Just a few simple practical. Now, this isn't anything that's going to be out off the wall, you would say. Just some simple things that we have to purpose to do. Have you ever noticed you have to be intentional about the good things? <laughs> the bad things just seem like they happen. You have to be intentional about the good things. 
Read the Bible with them. Read the Bible with them. Pray with them. If you're a grandparent, man, when your grandchildren come over, uh, always pray with them. Teach them to put others first. Teach them life is not about filling up hours of watching TV and video games and focusing on yourself day after day. Spend your time as you drive together in the car talking about things. Now, if you've got some children that were like me when I grow up, you answer everything with yes, no, and everything's fine. Got to kind of pull in a little bit. Ask open-ended questions. Establish that you want to hear from them. Now, in our days, this very often means you've got to put away your phone. Put it on, not just put it on silent, because then it will vibrate. Cut it all the way off and listen to them. Be willing to read the story one more time. Maybe even a third time. Fourth might be too much, but no, no. Be patient with them. Ephesians 5, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now notice this, a lot of wisdom in this verse, as we would expect from God's word. Do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up. Here's what every child needs. Raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's um, been interesting in my house the last couple of uh, weeks, with my, uh, particularly my two older children, we've been watching some baseball. You know, baseball's got some clearly outlined rules. Here's a goal, and then here's a foul line, here's the out, three outs, four balls, two strikes, three strikes, you get all that. And children kind of pick up on it pretty quickly. And, and so we'll be watching it, and, and, and Mary Claire will ask her, how many outs are there? Two outs, one more out, the inning's over, right? Yeah, yeah, so they begin to track along. You have to sort of do the same thing in life. Here's what the structure is. Now, Hannah's living in days. Where, what, what days is she going to be raising a son? Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. So Hannah's got to step in and say, here's what's inbounds, here's what's out of bounds, and here's what the goal is. Now, I tell my children sometimes, and I pray for them every night. I pray God will bless you with a pure heart, and that more than anything else, you'll love him. And I have to say it over and over and over again. Did you know this? It's, uh, my children have never, ever, not one time, asked me to preach a sermon to them. Not one single time. Not just for fun. Well, Daddy, we went to church this morning. That sermon was so good. Well, will you just, can we just sit here on the couch and you preach me another sermon? That's not, not ever really happened. Uh, you know what they do ask me, though? Uh, I, well, I asked, jotted down some of their questions, but we might not get into that <laughs> this morning. And that brings us to, to this fourth point, and I'll t- try to tie it in a little bit, is the power of persistence. Power persistence. Now, in a family and at church, let's just let's just say this: children can wear you slam out. If you don't think that's true, uh, well, no, I don't want to do this this week. I was going to say go to the nursery hall and the service is over, and you, you'll just find you'll be able to identify the nursery workers. They'll just be staggering out of there. Go, go, go to the last week, uh, the last day rather, of vacation Bible school. You'll be able to walk in, and you'll be able to see. Who's been serving at Vacation Bible School? They'll be the ones who laid prostrate on the floor. They've not slept. Uh, They've been at it all week. Children can be exhausting. And, and, and uh, every, uh, every young mom and every dad who, who uh, is doing what he should do knows what it's like to miss a night of sleep. Now, that gives us to the power of persistence. Verse 12, verse 10. She continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed his mouth. And then look over here in verse 15. I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Does that give us some direction on how to pray for children in our church family? 
God, may it not be said of us that we did not continue in prayer and pour out our soul on their behalf. Hannah, this is, in Hannah's life, this is not prayer easily offered and quickly forgotten. This is not sort of dismissive prayer. Oh, God bless them today. I'd want somebody like Hannah praying for me, wouldn't you? As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I bet this is true. Sitting in here this morning, many of you would be able to say, the primary, one of the primary reasons I'm sitting here where I am, and I know this Bible and I believe this gospel, is because of my mom. How many of you would, be, how many of you would say that? How many of you would say that? I remember her on her knees pouring out her soul. I remember her singing those songs over me. I remember her by my bed on her knees pouring out her soul. She was patient with me. She was kind to me. She was, you'd use the word, she was gracious with me. She was like Hannah with me. She taught me about Jesus. And I know that's true in my my house as well. Uh, My children, again, are probably not going to grow up. I pray that they, uh, as they follow Jesus, they're not going to go up and say, you know what, I follow Jesus because my dad, man, those sermons, man, those sermons he preached. No, you know what they're going to say? My mom. I know this is what they're going to say. It, I pray. <laughs> and my mom was so patient with me. They can't appreciate it now. They're going to be able to look back and they're going to be able to literally say, my mom gave her life for me. Day in, day out, got up. Her own self was not the priority in her life. Every waking moment was spent serving me, loving me, putting me first, and encouraging me to know Jesus. They might remember a sermon that I preached at some point, uh, but they're going to remember the example of their mom. And Samuel's going to serve the Lord all his life, and he's going to live in wicked days. He's going to live under a king who makes ungodly decisions. He's going to be surrounded by uh, Hophni and his kind of what the Bible calls them worthless sons. So we'll just say what the Bible says. Other young men who don't follow us, and and there's something, it's the grace of God, no doubt, but there's something that gives him ballast and backbone and hope and perseverance all the days of his life. And you know what I think it was? A praying, soul pouring out mom. The power of persuasion, or persistence rather. Now children will test your persistence, so we got to be persistent together. You know who else is persistent? The enemy is persistent. Thankfully, Christ is king. So we, we've seen that children are a priority. We need to be prayerful. We need to purpose them to know Christ, and then we have to be persistent about it. And, and the last thing that we'll say is, is the principle of persuasion. Persuasion. Samuel's the most important man in the Old Testament between Moses and David. He will live through very challenging days, but his devotion to God is remarkable. Here in verse 21, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Now Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him, only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. When she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, and he fought a flower and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. The Lord has granted me my petition that I may... That I made him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he's given to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Who's the he? 
he is Samuel. Now, we want to persuade a generation to follow Jesus. Now, they're growing up during a period of time in which many, for many, if not all of them, choosing to follow Jesus is not going to be easy. There are no greater privileges than serving the children of Calvary Baptist Church. As we see here in the Scripture, Jesus welcomes them, prays for them, and picks them up, spends time with the little ones. He, uh, he says, don't hinder them from coming. He welcomes them in, and, and we want to model that. We want to we be right in line with that. We want to be a place where children want to come. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, children will end up going where they're wanted, for the most part. Well, we want to be a place that we want you to be here, and not only to come here, but to know Christ. You're going to be prayed for. You're going to be loved. We're going to, we're going to be unified. We know it's exhausting work, is it not? We're going to be persistent, and we're going to persuade you to know Jesus. Now, here's, here's the rub <laughs> a little bit. We can't control children. They, they make their own decisions. But we can't give them direction, can we not? We'll raise up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he's old, he'll not depart, says the, says the proverb. Now, I think in your, um, in your bulletin this morning, you had a sermon handout. And you also, you also had a little handout there that talks about children. And you might want to look over that and just um, make it a matter of prayer. Some ways that you could serve the children here at Calvary Baptist Church. In the same way that Jesus does in welcoming them. You might just want to look over that. Nothing real complicated. If, if you have a desire and you see reflected on there, if you want to fill that out, and um, at the end of the service today, if you just want to bring your hand out and just sit it right here at this table, right here at the front, you can do that, and I'll collect those and be in touch with you. If you have got one of those uh, desires, we'll talk about it and, and uh, get specific on the best way that you might be able to implement some of those things. So let's stand together. We're going to pray together. I appreciate your, your patience and uh, attentiveness this morning. Now, we don't want to be hearers of the word only and so deceive ourselves. We want to be, we want to be doers. And so let's, let's take our time of invitation specifically to pray for the generation that's coming along here at Calvary Baptist Church. You may want to kneel here at the front. You want to pray for your children. You want to bring your children to the front. You want to pray for your grandchildren. You don't have to come to the front, but sometimes putting a little uh, physical action behind spiritual decisions is, is helpful. If you've got a burden on your heart, I'll stand here as the pastor of the church uh, the, the good news of the gospel, by the way, is that Jesus doesn't just welcome children. He welcomes anybody who would come like a child. And what does that mean? Come with trusting him, believing him. Let's pray together and then have our time of invitation. Father, thank you for, for, uh, for a woman like Hannah who lived in the midst of heartbreaking circumstances. So much of her life had not gone likely the way that she thought that it would or but in the midst of these challenging circumstances her hope rings true to us rings clear to us she sought you through many bitter nights and desperate days now father i pray for this generation of precious children that you've entrusted us first of all as a church family that we would see what a stewardship we've been entrusted with to know the days that we live in are evil. That's not unique to our days. It was evil in Exodus 1, evil in Matthew 2. But the triumph of God marched on. And that'll be true in our days as well. And Father, give us this balance of recognizing the times in which we live as we defend children and shepherd them, but also as we spur them on like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior are the, are the children of a man's youth, your word says.
So we're praying for sharp arrows. Lead our time, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of being a church family together. We're in this together to see a mighty generation of young people prayed for, persistently persuaded onto Christ's likeness. Pray in Jesus' name.